0: For everybody else, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. We are continuing our series in, called Citizen Exiles, and so today we are in the book of Esther. We want to talk about actually the person of Esther and what do we learn from her life and example. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to be finishing the series, so we'll be wrapping up the series in two weeks. We're going to be wrapping up one final look at Esther and just the major themes that we've seen and... And what do we do with them today? Sort of what's the, as we've sort of looked at the as the whole and just sort of all the themes that have been woven throughout, just what, what is Esther meant to do in our lives today? And how is it meant to not just be a story that we've learned from, but make a difference as we, as we you know, go to work on Monday, you know, go to work and school and parent on, on Monday morning, you know, what does that look like, the role for Esther in our life. So that's what we're going to be doing in two weeks. Um, this week... Um, uh, Leo and Sue and I are going to be going down to Florida. There's the annual Sovereign Grace Church's Pastors Conference. Appreciate your prayers, just that this time would allow us to serve you all more effectively and uh, how we uh, tr- try to care best for you. So appreciate your prayers for this week. Next week, um, uh, I'm very excited for y'all. Jimmy Cannon is going to be here. Jimmy is a pastor of a, of a two-campus sister church in Abingdon and White Marsh. Um, so he's going to be here to preach. So I'm excited for y'all for next week. I'll actually be at his church preaching next Sunday. So that's kind of what's coming up. So Jimmy's going to be here next week and then in two weeks we'll be wrapping up Esther. Um, But today we're continuing our series and if you're new in the book of Esther we've not been going through things chapter by chapter but we're going through different themes that have emerged in the book one at a time. So the story of Esther is the story of uh, in a big picture way of, of God's sovereign and surprising deliverance of his people when they were in a desperate moment of need. Because the people were in exile, they were under the rule of a Persian king, and this king chose Esther to be his wife, to be his queen. And he doesn't know that Esther is a Jew, is one of God's people. And his main advisor, a man named Haman, an evil man named Haman, hates the Jews. And he hates the Jews because Esther's adopted father, Mordecai, refuses to bow to, to, to Haman. And as a result of this, as a result of of Mordecai refusing to bow to Haman, not only is Mordecai sentenced to death, but Haman sentences all Jews to death, and then he gets the king to sign off on this. And the people are on the brink of extinction and extermination until Esther steps in. She wins the king's favor. She reminds him of Mordecai's past faithfulness and aid to him. And so at the moment of most desperate need, H- Esther steps in, the king's mind and heart is reversed, and Haman himself is actually killed as Mordecai then rises in power and the people are spared. So if you haven't, if you're not familiar with the story, I I'd encourage you to read it. It is full of drama and just God's obvious sovereign hand throughout. And we've looked at many of the themes that have come out, but we haven't really looked at any of the characters in full that have come out. And so this morning I would like to look at the person of Esther, and what what do we see from her in this book, and what can we learn from her? She is a picture of a fearlessness and of godly femininity, and she's a foreshadow of Jesus himself. And so there is something we can learn from her, that we can each learn from her and be grateful for for her, how she was used to preserve a people, but not only how she was used to preserve a people, how she points to the Savior of all people. So the main point we're going to look at this morning is the character of the queen in the image of the king. The character of the queen in the image of the king. So we're going to read sections of chapter 5 and of chapter 7. This is when the story really takes for her the most heroic turns as she stands and as she risks everything, she risks her crown, she risks her her own life for that of her people. So if you are able, if you would stand with me as we read Chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, and then I'll I'll, I'll segue into chapter 7. Just one note, I'm going to read the name of the king as Xerxes, as it's pronounced differently in different places. Just for consistency, I'm going to read it as Xerxes, but that's why you might see it differently than on your page. So Esther, chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. And while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight and held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached him, approached and touched the tip of his scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that, that Esther had prepared, and as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you, and what is your request? Even up to ha- even to ha- the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found, fa- found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I prepare for them tomorrow. And I will do as the king has said. So they leave the feast that night. Haman runs again into Mordecai. And Mordecai again refuses to bow to Haman. So, so he goes from being high to now Haman is angry and he plans on killing Mordecai. He builds gallows that night for Mordecai to be killed. And at the same moment, the king can't sleep. And someone reads the story to the king of stories of his kingdom And he hears the story again of how Mordecai saved his life and received no reward. So the king's freshly hearing what Mordecai did for him and how Mordecai was never rewarded. So he wants, so he sends for Mordecai to be rewarded. And so now Haman is deeply in distress because his adversary is about to be elevated. But he and the king go to night two of the banquet, which is what we begin reading in chapter seven, verse one. So the king and Haman went into feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request, even to the, ha- the half of my kingdom? It shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we, had sold, if we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For our affliction is not to be compared with the loss of the king. Then King Xerxes said to Esther, Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Well, you may be seated. As if you know the rest of the story, Haman then is immediately killed. The people are spared. Esther's one request was not for power or for wealth or for herself, but the salvation of her people, which then the king then grants. So this is not my personal style. This isn't something you would find in my office, but you've probably seen some like inspirational posters, right? So there's like, you know, there's a picture of like a a cat hanging by a tree limb or something. It just says, hang in there, you know, those kind of things or, you know, picture of a rainbow, and it will just say, you know, dreams, believe in the power of your potential, those kinds of things, so that's not my side. I don't have any of those in my office, but I have had the kind of office. that actually, there's a website that sells demotivational posters, so it's kind of like a parody on those posters, so I, I have, I, I've had those, and I really like those, so one, it's just a guy with his hands, you know, head in his hands down at his cubicle, and it just says, get to work, you aren't being paid to believe in the power of your dreams, and so that's one of them, one, <laughs> It's the picture of the capitol building, and it says, Government, if you think the problems we create are bad, wait till you see our solutions, so I like that one. It's one where it's the picture of, a, of the running of the bulls, and a guy's about to get gored by said bull, and it says, and, it, and the caption is, Tradition. Just because you've always done it w- that way, doesn't mean it's not really stupid, so I like that one. And there's one where there's a picture of a, of a boat sinking, and sort of, you know, the, you know it's kind of capsized, this big boat in the water. It's a sinking ship, and it just says mistakes. Could it be that your purpose in life is to serve as a warning to others? So those are, I, I sort of like that, that kind of humor, and so I've had, um, you know, they inspire me. So I had a couple of those hanging in my office. Op- so anyway, there, there's this idea that at times our life is to serve as an example to others. And for Esther, we are going to see how she serves as an example to others, but she's not like this sinking ship. She is not sort of like one who serves as this counterexample, but she is one who we really can learn a lot from, one we can see to help us grow and to point us to the Savior. So we want to look at her as queen and how not only she served as queen, but how she images our true king. So again, the main point is the character of the queen in the image of the king. Three points that we want to look at her life through. Point number one is Fearless. Fearless. There is this great example in Esther of just a a, a courage and a fearlessness. She has courage just really all throughout this book. It's not just one moment when she stood before the king. It's really that she has this example again and again of her life in faith and courage and fearlessness. So first she is made to be the queen. Now the text is light in all the details of the way this took took place and all the ways that it happened. But at some point she 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 decided to stand out and she she looked for the king's approval, looked to to look to win his favor in a sense. Which you might think, well, of course, who wouldn't want to be queen? But she's coming right, she's becoming the queen because, well, the last queen was just ungraciously thrown out because she had some measure of personal resolve and the king didn't like that so he just immediately booted her and I was on the committee to find the next one. You see, Xerxes is not this generous, loving, stable man who you sort of want to build your life with. Right? If she was coming to me asking for, for pastoral advice on, you know, should I pursue King Xerxes? I'd be like, yeah, I'd probably find another guy. This is not, you know, the one you really want to, want to go with. But, but, but God was, was raising her up and she, she had courage. There was even just, there was a high personal risk at really, and it's not the way we would think of it today, but there was this high personal risk at at just becoming queen and standing out to become queen. And then when the Jews are threatened, right, so her identity was unknown, she could have probably continued that way. She was already queen. Nobody knew her true, you know, only Mordecai knew her true identity. This wasn't the age of electronic records and thorough background checks and DNA, right? I mean, they, she could have gotten by but she not only reveals her identity, she then stands with and for her people. And she devises this plan of, of the, of the feasts and the banquets and sort of, okay, this is the way it's going to go, and, and, it, and it worked. Obviously, we know that God used her planning, but she didn't know if it would lead to success at all, right? There was no guarantees in all of this. I mean, she had no rights before the king, right? So, she, so the king had to lay, lay, lay the scepter down, and she you know, was sort of was invited into his presence this one time, and so she had no rights before him. And yet she prayed, and she planned, and she worked, and she threw this feast. And right when, sort of, after, you know, she threw the feast night one, it would seem like that was the moment, but she had this sense of, hey, this isn't the right moment for what God is raising me up to do. There's still this danger that she was perceiving. So she, she does it all again, and she, she waits. She had no fear of, you know, this may have been the only chance that God will ever give me. She had it. She had a fearlessness and a, and a courage to, to wait and to have faith. And then on the second night, after, sort of, he, the king is reminded of Mordecai, and the king is happy And again offers up half the kingdom. When again, she could have very easily just gone for her own comfort and her own safety, in the sense of I just I I wanna I wanna make sure I'm sort of secure first. She exposes Haman and she asks for the safety of her people. Now gotta keep in mind, up to this point in the story, even though we again knowing how it ends, it can be easy to miss how how just courageous and fearless this really is, because Haman at the time was the most trusted of the king's advisors. Up to this point in the book, the king has done whatever Haman has requested. And then the king puts his name on, 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 on Haman's decrees. So this decree to kill all the Jews, that was Haman's and the king signed off on it. He is the most trusted of advisors. There's not, there's not any record of him ever going against Haman. And so we have this king who time and time again is seen as volatile and emotional and selfish and who has, in his own personal history, just not long ago, hey, listen, there's a a line of women we could get to be the next queen who would be very happy to step in as the next queen. And history has said that he will side with Haman, and yet she goes and makes this request. Yet she goes and exposes Haman for who he is. And she puts it all on the line for her, for her people, with, with no surety of the outcome. There was just... The sense that this is the highest sort of stakes risk one can take. There's no plan B. There's no turning back. She can't sort of walk back this about Haman, right? There's no guarantees. And yet she is courageous. And when the moment came, she was fearless for her people. Now, it's easy to lose this, right, when we look at the narrative as a whole. But she didn't know the ending, she didn't know how this would go, she didn't know how God was going to preserve his people but the means he used was her fearlessness and her courage. Now what what gave her this resolve? What led to this? Well one of the turning points in the book is earlier in chapter 4 it's it's a passage we've read just about every week but it's after the death sentence is signed by the king. Before Esther speaks up before she's right now sort of she she's heard of this death sentence and she hasn't she hasn't been moved to act yet. Mordecai appeals to her and says this, for if you keep silent at a time like this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And in the very next verse, she begins to act. She begins to fast and pray and call others to do so. See, she was, in a sense, told how the story ends, that relief and deliverance will come. God will preserve his people. And he will use what seemed to be just ordinary human means. All throughout the book of, of Esther, there's not this... If you think about it, there's not like the miracle as we normally expect miracles. There's not sort of, sort of the laws of nature and of science stopping for a moment so we could g- see God's clear hand of like nothing else you could attribute to. it. What we see is nor- normal human means time after time after time. But she was aware, she was reminded that God will preserve his people. and So the faithfulness of God to bring about his, his purposes gave her courage. I think in in that way she is an example to each of us that to be reminded that in our lives in our situations that God is victorious. This isn't a theory. That's what He has been in history. That is what He is right now. He is is in victory, and in the future we will see the full victory of God on display. And He brings about His victory through very in, in, in each situation in each of our lives through very normal looking means. But his victory and his sovereignty and his faithfulness should give his people all the courage in the world. Because we really do know how it ends. We have a a a position that 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 Esther didn't have for the whole story, which is we know how this all ends. So think for a moment, just, just in your own life, in your own with what you're walking through right now with. Is there a situation or a trial or just this, this a prayer that just, the, the greatest challenge that you see right in front of you that is tempting you to, to pull back out of fear rather than acting in faith? Is there something that you look at and you say, Boy, I'm starting to just pull away from this because cause, cause I'm afraid? Or is there a situation that's having the opposite that I don't know how, I, I feel afraid, and so what I want to do is actually, I, I, I'm going to take it all myself, that I'm putting all the responsibility on me because there's a fear of what will happen if I don't. It might be something in your marriage or in your parenting or at work or at school or with a friend. Probably some of you are thinking, like, okay, which one? I mean, there's just there's a lot that's going on that I, I can be tempted to, to, to pull away from out of fear where we can look at circumstances and say, that these are really hard. And where we can look at the obstacles and be aware, they're very real. And when you look at yourself, you're, you're aware that there's reason to fear because I, I, I cannot possibly overcome these obstacles or change these circumstances. See, in Esther, the, the situation was as scary as it gets. And if Esther looked only at Esther, well, what would happen is the same thing that happens when I only look at myself. When I only look at my circumstances and not my God, when I look at myself, here's here's what happens. Fear comes. And fear can just sort of cause us immobility and just sort of can paralyze me because I don't know what to do. See, fear comes when we look inward, and it should. But we aren't meant to look there. When we, when we remember God, when we remember that God's the biggest player in all this, when we remember that sort of the biggest player in Esther isn't Esther or Mordecai or the king, but when, she, when one recognizes it is God, all of a sudden it's not fear that paralyzes, but that faith that grips us and moves us ahead. See, We are meant not to look inward, we are meant to look outward at our God, and He gives courage to His people whatever we face. The God of Esther is our God. It's the sovereign one who gives courage to his people and who casts out their fears, whatever situation they find themselves in. So the character of the queen in the image of the king, point number two is femininity, femininity. So I'll be honest, I I love the example of Esther because we don't really get to see a lot of female followers of God up close and personal, especially in the Old Testament. This is Probably, or just about at least, the the closest sort of view we get of somebody in the Old Testament who was following God. And she just paints just a beautiful picture of femininity that men and women can learn from today. Now, in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, as she is winning the king in a sense, and it? Talks of winning the king and she's gaining approval of those around. her. Well, the way it's written, it, it makes it very clear that she is a, she is a beautiful woman, that she has an external beauty. And I strongly suspect that at first that's really what the king reduced her to, that he reduced her to her physical beauty, that she was that he liked sort of having her as an ornament to make to to elevate his status, and so how people would look, how he would look in other people's eyes. That's why he liked her, because she then, like we do now, lived in an, in an appearance obsessed culture. And to be clear, that it was her culture then, and in many ways, sadly, it is our culture now that will reduce a woman's a woman's worth to externals and of looks and of appearances. But to be quite clear, that is not what Scripture does or the God of Scripture does. And in a time when women were reduced in every way, Scripture does not reduce women. Scripture highlights their true equality and dignity and shows how even the differences between men and women help highlight the image of God that they both equally share. And so one of the things I love is that Esther here is seen as godly and feminine, and, and she is strong in this book and she's a rescuer and she is courageous and she does these things not by being like a man but by using her god-given image-bearing femininity so we've already touched on her courage but her courage wasn't just to sort of risk her own safety and comfort right when when it was when it all seemed to be going sort of when even things were going against plan her courage looked like this stable trust in god And for her, her trust in God was not passive, it was not sitting on the sidelines, it was not indifferent, but it was not, all right, well, I guess I got to take it all into my own hands then. Sort of like we kind of view courage today like an action star, like nobody else can get it, so I'm just going to do it all myself. That was not her. Her courage looked like an active trust in the sovereignty of God. And what a testimony that that proclaims. And do you see just the, the picture and the beautiful picture that her submission here was and how her submission to, to, to both Mordecai and to the king were not, was, was, was a sign of her strength. It was not a sign of her weakness. How she listened to her father and how she submitted to the king. And it wasn't because they were perfect. And it wasn't even because she trusted them or had reason to trust them at times. But it flowed from a trust in God himself. So in her submission, there is nothing weak or passive, and it, she planned and she prayed and she pleaded and she trusted in God. So she had no reason to trust this pagan king who just got rid of the last wife and who who is now threatening to kill every Jew. Yet what does her disposition of heart proclaim that she did? Trust that God had placed him there, and her. And she worked to help him make a righteous decision. And I am sure, as Mordecai's giving the plan, there's moments of real doubt, like, really? Okay, the plan is for me to risk my own life and my own safety. That's, that's the plan. But she doesn't dismiss it or say, well, I don't really like that plan, so let's, let's do something else. But she prayed and she acted and just her thoughtfulness comes out in, in all of her planning. That she was thoughtful, that she understood the king, that she got something of what he was like, that she got something of the situation she was in, and she planned a lot, and she had a strategy, and she threw this feast, and she called others to plan and to act, and she was, she was really the one sort of running this whole plan, but, and she was thoughtful, but her planning was not sort of this endless cycle that through all the plans, that just sort of paralyzed her in fear. Nor was it one that said sort of, okay, I'm going to act as if this all depends on me. But she, but she planned and she acted as an act of obedience to God. and She was thoughtful as an act of obedience to God. So I think some ways, sometimes we can, in sort of this macho way, we can see courage as a masculine thing. And let me be clear, men be courageous. But this is what he calls each of his children to do is, is courage. See, Esther's femininity in this book is, is never a sign of her weakness, but it's a sign of her strength to both her and to her king and to her entire people. And I just want to say that there are, we live in a culture that just has so many lies about femininity. Just that I think Esther helps combat a few. See, one is culture loves to reduce women to what is external and loves to elevate what is external above all else what is most important is the is the image they project not the faith they possess and true beauty is far more internal that works itself out as esther displays and culture would love to, s- to view submission as as weakness and, and, and submission as passivity and just sort of this naive acceptance. Me and Esther, I think we see that her submission was, was a strength and a dignity and it was worthy of honor. I think another lie that is said about submission is that if, if someone in and of themselves is not worthy fully to be submitted to, then, well, we never should submit to them. So, so if there's a leader, if there's a husband, if there's sort of someone in, in a place of authority for, for both men or women, if, if they're sort of not in and of themselves sort of perfectly to be followed, then we, you know what? We don't really need to submit to them. We, we really are called to then take matters into our own hands because that's what real strength is. Not, rather than recognizing that real strength lies in the ability not to attempt to do something on one's own, But to entrust oneself to God, who is powerful enough to even use the weak and the imperfect. See, I think just Esther, just by her example, just combats so many of the lies that people would want to talk about femininity. And I'm aware that for too long, culture and sadly even at times in the church has reduced the beauty of femininity and not seen its strengths. And I'm aware that there have been those in this room who have been affected by that. But Scripture and the God of Scripture never reduces women, but loves and empowers them and empowers them not to be men, but to image Him in ways that men can't and shouldn't. And so may we be a church full of men and of women and of families, a body of believers that never reduces femininity but see it for its beauty and its dignity and its strength. And may every woman of living hope never be reduced to or defined by what culture says is most important. May never see submission in the areas that they're called to submit to as weak. May never see passivity as a virtue. But may every woman of living hope have femininity that is seen as courageous faith. And that may be, as we see that, may that be something we protect and as, that we seek to honor. Because despite, listen, there's, there's a lot of rhetoric about how the culture wants to honor women. But true femininity is really under attack. But may it be defended in Christ's church. And I just want to thank so many godly women who are part of this church for... Not taking your cues primarily from culture, but from this book. And not reducing femininity to a slogan, but live with an active trust and dependence on God. In, after the service, we're going to have a family meeting, and one of the things we're going to be talking about is ways that we can reach out to the community, ideas that we have, and... Let me just say this. Women... That are courageous in their God and confident in Him that look countercultural, that is a picture of beauty you won't find anywhere else. And it's attractive to a watching world. And I am grateful that Living Hope is full of women where the light of Jesus Christ shines brightly through because of your courageous faith, not in what culture says, but in what God proclaims. So the character of the queen and the image of the king. Third thing we see is this. Third third idea is that Esther is a foreshadow. A foreshadow. And to be clear, there's a lot we can commend about Esther. We could could go on longer. There's a lot we can commend. She had a fearless faith. In in the moment of, of desperate need, she stepped up. But there's no sense here that Esther is perfect. There's a lot about her rise to be queen that would maybe indicate, maybe there's a certain cunningness that's taking place at times. There's, she was fearless in the moment of need, but as we already talked about, but she had to be persuaded. She was reluctant at first. And in so many ways, you could accurately say she was the deliverer. She was, she was the one who, who brought freedom to her people. But you could also say, and, and so was Mordecai. But ultimately, it was the one, you know, it was the king who changed his mind in the story. It was those who fought in chapter 9 that secured victory. See, she was clearly used by God, but it's also clear coming out of this book we need one mightier than Esther. We need one who not only appeals to the king, and we hope the king will listen to, we need one who is not reluctant and not just willing but who will initiate salvation for his people. See, the great hope in Esther is not Esther, but it's in who she points to. See, Esther was willing to risk her life. She was willing to risk her royalty to help save her people. The one Esther foreshadows not only risked his life and his royalty, he left the throne of heaven as king of all to come as a man lowly and rejected. And he didn't risk his life. He gave it up dying in the most painful and humiliating ways. And he doesn't appeal to God hoping that God will listen. He intercedes before God constantly, right now, knowing that God hears every word proclaimed for each of his people. And he is right now interceding for a God who listens. And he doesn't leave it for his people to secure the victory in the end. But he is the God who brings salvation from beginning to end and every step in between. So Esther is a beautiful foreshadow in her willingness to lay down her life and her crown and to appeal before the king for the safety of her people. But she points to the one who purchased his people with his own blood, giving up his glory, giving up his life, who is now interceding as king of kings. And so the beauty of this book and of this character is ultimately the one she points to. So as we look at Esther, we should be grateful for her courage and for her boldness and for her godly femininity because God used them to preserve his people. He used them to preserve a line through which our Savior would come. But as we look at her, we should be much more grateful for Jesus Christ who purchased and redeemed and will come back for his people. So we see the character of the queen in the image of the king. Let's pray. Father, would you... Help us to be those who, like Esther, who display courage and faith in whatever it is you're calling us to, Lord, in the circumstances that we are aware of, that we are not not even maybe waking up to Monday morning, but that we are in right now, where we are tempted to, to hide away in fear and to shrink back in fear. Lord, would you give courage to your people, knowing that you are the God who is powerful. You are the God who brings victory in the end for, for your people. So Lord, will we not shrink back in fear, but will we press ahead in faith? Lord, will we be those who have a countercultural witness to the world around us who see the true beauty for femininity, for what it is, and that we would, we would protect that in our midst, that we would honor that in our midst, that we would not believe any of the lies of this culture. But Lord, we pray, and we pray that Lord, we would be those who while we're doing this th- while we are doing these things lord look to jesus christ in full assurance and confidence that you are the god who left the throne of heaven to come to earth who wasn't just willing to give up his willing to die for his people but who came to give up his life who is now interceding who is now and has always been the god who is going before his people every day, all their situations, every moment. So Lord, would we look to Jesus Christ and so that as we look at Esther, would we more fully see Jesus and be grateful for him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.